Good morning. Welcome to Phoenix United Reformed Church and happy Thanksgiving. It is good to be among the people of the Lord. And it's good to see that among the people that are known to us, there's also, I trust, a lot of family here. We welcome you, especially. And if you're from the community and you are visiting this church, maybe for the first time, we welcome you as well. It's good to be together, to have an opportunity to thank the Lord for his goodness. Not every nation has a day set aside for thanks in the way that we do. It's a point of wisdom in our nation's history that we chose to do that and that we had set aside time not just to be grateful in a vague way, but originally, and as it ought to be, to the Lord for his blessings. God help us to approach this day in that way. It will make for a much more joyful day to think on the good things the Lord has preserved, has promised, shall do. He is entirely worthy of our praise. So let's stand and receive his call to worship from Psalm 105. The Lord our God calls us to worship from Psalm 105, which says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Make known what he has done among all the peoples. The Lord has called us into worship. Let's ask him for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering a people for yourself from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth and making of them one holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people chosen to declare your praise. We thank you that this morning you have given us an opportunity in particular to thank you for your many kindnesses to us. Please receive our praise and our honor before you. All these things we ask through our Savior Jesus Christ, for in his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing out to the Lord the song in the hymnal, 254, Let All Things Now Living. And we'll remain standing as we sing.
calls us also greets us and welcomes us. Receive his greeting to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll remain standing, continue our praise together with 249 in the hymnal, For the Beauty of the Earth. ancient times long before Christ came and tabernacled with us, God's people have incorporated the Psalms into their worship and often responsively. We have liturgies that go way back to see that God's people give voice together as a way of uniting. And you'll find a responsive reading in your bulletin of Psalm 145. Together we'll say the portions that are in bold italics. 
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works will give thanks to you, and all your people will bless you. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are brought low. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. With my mouth I will praise the Lord and bless his name forever and ever. With our mouths we'll praise the Lord. Let's do that then by singing together Psalm 111b. Note we're going to sing stanzas 1, 3, and 6 of this song and we'll remain seated for it. best expression of thankfulness that you could give to the Lord. I imagine people have all different kinds of ideas. Maybe they think of it monetarily, maybe in terms of time, serving in different ways. But our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, points out something else that's even more at the center, because you have to remember, God doesn't need anything. He chooses, he delights to use our assistance, even as a parent often delights to involve their children in things that they may not actually be more helpful to be involved in. And yet the parent chooses and delights. God doesn't need our help. But he delights to hear from us and to express our dependence upon him. And our catechism comes to this. Hear the words from question and answer 116. 
Why do Christians need to pray? And the answer it gives is because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. God has so ordained prayer as his means that ordinarily we should not expect the blessings of God apart from it. And yet when we do pray, we should ordinarily expect to receive the things that we ask according to his will. Let's do that now. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, majestic in the heavens, you created all things for your glory, for you, through you. There is nothing that exists which you have not decreed to play a part in a story that you build out over time. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for having made us human beings and given us the task of bearing your image and of being able to commune with you. We thank you that you are a God who can be known, that you have revealed your power, your wisdom your righteousness in creation. You've written your law upon the human heart that even where it is greatly suppressed, yet there are the vestiges, the sparks of that original light, enough to show us that you are holy and that we ought to serve you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us the scriptures and having preserved them through blood and toil for thousands of years and in so reliable a state that we do not speak wrong when we say that They are the holy, inspired, and errant word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your word, you declare to us great, precious promises, especially concerning the gospel, that God himself has come among us, has worn our nature. Jesus Christ has reconciled to you all who believe through him. Lord, we thank you that we can look upon your throne without terror, but with great delight, knowing that we have been adopted. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who witnesses that to us, who is the guarantee, the seal of our everlasting union with you. And we ask that you would not take away from us the ministry and the sense of your presence through the Spirit, but that more and more you would increase our sense of union with Christ and our delight to be made like him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy law, which shows us the right way to live not to save ourselves from your wrath, but to enter more and more into the fullness of life and joy. Lord, we thank you for a local church, whether it be this one or another that we are united with, where your word is declared and where we have accountability and fellowship. We pray that you would please sustain your church as a light and a leaven in the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you this morning for the abundant provision that you have made for us. We thank you that our tables are not barren. And we pray on behalf of any for whom that is the case. Lord, give us eyes to see. Connect us to those in need. Jesus taught us that when you throw a feast, welcome those who are outcasts and have nothing. Truly everything we have comes from your hand. We acknowledge you. 
If we have a good job, we think of all the things that we had very little control over in that circumstance. And even the aptitudes that we have and even the discipline that we have and how it's connected to so many tendrils of your providence, the people who influenced us, the teachers we had, everything comes back to your grace because we deserve none of these advantages. And we ask, Father, that you would fill our hearts with thankfulness, that our greatest feast today would be feasting upon your goodness. Our Lord, we thank you for placing us by your providence in a country which has so many abundant blessings. Help us, Father, for one day out of this year at least to put our eyes upon those things which are good and not those things which desperately need improvement. We thank you, Father, for the degree of freedom that we have. We thank you that, unlike some of our brothers and sisters this very day elsewhere, that we are not locking our doors and fearful of what men might do to our bodies. We ask that you would be with our brothers and sisters throughout the whole world. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the gifts of family. We ask that through us, you administer today to our relatives who gather. For those who are without family here this day, we thank you for the everlasting brotherhood that you've given to us in Christ. And we thank you that many of the pains, all of the pains that we may associate with family in this life will be washed away forever in glory through Christ. Jesus said, anyone who has lost father, sister, mother, or brother for my sake shall have these and a hundredfold more in the kingdom. You've given us the church as a loving mother, as it says in Galatians 5. You've given us yourself as a father, Christ as our brother, and innumerable saints. We ask that you would please prepare us to live lives more and more worthy of that high calling. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. God's people pray. Amen. This time the deacons will come forward to receive the offering, which is for the Phoenix Christian Grade School.
you haven't already done so, I invite you to turn in the Word of God to the book of Ezra, to the book of Ezra, to chapter 3. This is one of the historical books of the Bible describing the period after the Jews, a small portion of them, had returned from exile in Babylon. You may be aware, maybe you're not, and maybe you're one of the children among us who are still forming in your mind the, the timeline of biblical history. But about almost 600 years before Jesus was born, God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And when the Babylonian Empire conquered a people, what they would do is sweep down in, destroy most of the monuments in order to partially erase that people's sense of a cultural identity, and then take those people and scatter them throughout the Babylonian Empire, dilute their sense of national identity. It was a kind of forced melting pot. And in that way, many, many nations that used to exist simply dissolved during the time of the Babylonian Empire. And you might have expected that, anyone would have expected that to happen to the Jews as well, but where God makes a promise, where he covenants, he brings it to pass. And he said, I will have a nation. And so, just as had been prophesied, a little over 70 years after their time of going into exile, you now find a group of Jews who have been released back into the land with the blessing of the Assyrian king. They've come back into the land, but what they find is rubble everywhere. The city of Jerusalem is a rubble, and Solomon's temple, which formerly was one of the wonders of the world, is also in rubble. Our text picks up just as the cornerstone of the new temple is being laid. You think maybe you've even had the opportunity to be at a groundbreaking ceremony. They're going to build some huge structure and there's a lot of cost, attention, investment involved. So a big deal is made over, say, the first shovel being put into the ground. Well, In a culture that largely built its great structures of stone, they would have a cornerstone laying celebration. And that's what we're seeing here in this text, beginning at verse 10. Look with me. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord were laid. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we consider his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We've already thanked you for the food that you've provided to us this day and many of the external blessings, but we thank you even more for giving us the word, true spiritual bread. We need these promises every day of the week, Lord. We ask that this morning you would so impress them upon us that we would be nourished and that the Holy Spirit would bring us back to these things throughout the week. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, that we would be first humbled, but then lifted up 
by your love to us in Christ. For we ask these things in his name, and God's people pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to overstate the importance of foundations? For any children who are here, and you may not know what a foundation is, I'll tell you, the foundation is the part of, say, a house or even this church building that sits underneath everything, and everything is resting on it. And so the structure and the stability of the whole rests upon it, relies upon there being a good foundation. Naturally, over time, that word foundation came to have a metaphorical meaning. It had a certain significance that went beyond the physical structures that stand underneath buildings and monuments. You think in our own time we might talk about a foundation for alleviating poverty. We're using that word to talk about people who are committed to something, to a certain set of structures or commitments, a foundation. Or maybe you've heard someone say that one of the foundations of a marriage is mutual trust. And so the word comes to be extended to talk about those spiritual, social, and moral realities that hold human life together as God intended it. There is an age-old question, and it's raised in the Psalms. In Psalm, 1, or Psalm 11, verse 3, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, that would have connections in a literal sense, obviously. If, the, if a building, if a church building has a bad foundation, well, what's the church going to do about it? They can't just ignore that, right? Some type of correction, repair, if possible, must be done, or they have to get a different building. But in a spiritual, in a moral, in a social sense, that has even more weight. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The whole structure is in danger of collapsing. Jesus tells in one of his parables about a person who builds his house on the sand, not with a proper foundation, and then a storm comes and sweeps the whole thing away. For Israel, they went through this in a most visceral and real way. When the foundation of Solomon's temple was literally overturned, because that's what the Babylonians did, they came in and they, they didn't just occupy the building and enjoy it, turn it into a museum. They wanted to erase the significance of that building and the God associated with it. And so they overturned everything. They destroyed it. They separated these stones. And think of the commitment, by the way, if you have any idea, we'll come back to that, just how big some of these stones were. They want this thing gone. And for Israel, when that foundation is destroyed, with it goes their sense in large measure of everything that they held dear. The foundations of their families were torn apart. They were separated. Children were taken from parents. Millions died or were scattered across the empire. Their way of life, their government, their morality, whatever vestiges people were holding on to, seemed to dissolve as they were scattered into a pagan empire. And understandably, many people would have felt like this is, there's no coming back from this. There's no hope. And it'd be a time of weeping. And we, of course, are tempted at times 
to focus so much upon former foundations, the way that we think things should be and remembering how they were. And we might weep for that. But on this day, the Lord is calling you to set your attention not on how things were, but upon his promises concerning his power and concerning what he will do in Jesus Christ. We give thanks for his power to restore foundations and that we have a firm foundation in Christ. The Lord is calling you. This is, it's not just a recommendation this Thanksgiving day. He's calling you. Rejoice in these things. And so as we consider this text, we're going to do so under two main headings. I'll mention them each as we come to them. First is this. The Lord wants you this morning to give thanks that foundations can be restored. Foundations can be restored. And we need to remember that when we look at foundations that are broken. Look at me at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with the trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. The organization of praise made perfect sense when you grasp the seeming impossibility of that moment. We might think 70 years, that's a long time to wait, but in reality, they thought this day would never come. They'd be waiting 700 or 7,000 years because it seemed so impossible that they would see their temple being restored as a place to meet with, worship, and honor their God. And yet God did work. He laid it upon the heart of the king of a different power that then crushed Babylon. He laid it on the heart of that king to show favor to Ezra and Nehemiah, these leaders. And surely people would have thought, where is the money going to come from? Stone is in the earth, but labor is not cheap. And the temple was built at a time of Israel being at its absolute apex financially. Now they are poor, and it's just a a few thousand people who returned. If you can grasp just how many people are needed to move one stone, this is a major undertaking. Where is it going to come from? But then the Lord moves upon that king to even provide financially for them. And then God calls and empowers by his spirit these different leaders, Ezra, Nehemiah, and others. He leads a reform movement within them. It's not just that they had an idea and God goes, oh, I was praying for people like that. I couldn't restore the foundations until they were born. No. When God wants to do a thing, he makes it happen. He calls us to be involved. He calls us to seek it in faith. But he has the power to do this. And then not only the leaders, but he lays it upon the hearts of the people to give sacrificially. What they don't have in money, they give in terms of literally their sweat, their tears, Archaeologists in 2007 conducted studies of a quarry that stands some ways outside of Jerusalem. And there's zero doubt in the minds of modern archaeology concerning what that quarry was used for. It was used to draw out the stones of the temple, of the two different temples. And so studies were done to see how big were these stones. The largest stones used in the structure would have been for the foundation. And they find cuttings. These things don't just go away. That's one of the beauties of stone. They can measure and see how large were the individual stones that were moved. And some of the largest stones are between 28 and 36 feet long. 28 and 30. So we're talking 
are building a single stone. And it's not wafer thin to make it as lightweight as possible. It's, don't think a counter. These are big stones. The calculated weight for some of these stones is above 500 tons. To put that into perspective, that is 100, and in terms of the weight, 150 Chevy Suburbans welded together. And then stacked as high as the Eiffel Tower, 150. This is, that's one stone, one. You don't just get people to want to do that for no pay. God laid upon the heart of his people the value of worship, of having him in their presence. That's what they wanted. They want God to be in their midst, and he can move. He can restore foundations in an apparently impossible time. Of course, he uses human effort, but it's he who gives the power. It's he who deserves the praise. Psalm 90, verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The foundation of any foundation that we would work towards is the Lord himself. That is those, that's of such great comfort to us when you think about what areas of your life you're dwelling, you, you want the former foundation, or you realize there isn't even a foundation. Maybe that's a marriage that's foundering. And you wish things were the way they were, and you say, it can't possibly be. With the Lord, it may be. I can't tell you, I know in your circumstance what will be accomplished. He calls you to work towards whatever he would bless to do so in faith, to take up the sword and the trowel, to be about your father's business. But there's no place to have no hope. That may be concerning schools, not just our Christian schools for which we took an offering this morning, though we can remember a time when there were far more of those, but also for our public schools. Could they be better than they are? For our homeschooling, could that be more developed? And people say, oh, it's, it's, it's not like it was in some area. But with the Lord, maybe it shall be better. We don't have places, Christians, to say, the good days are behind us. We don't know what God might do. He calls us to give thanks. I think historically the example of a, a pastor, and that's all he was at that time. He was a, a young man, Abraham Kuyper. I'm sure some of you know the name. He eventually became the president of the Netherlands. While he was a pastor, a number of older members in the congregation began to evangelize him. That's a problem when you're trying to convert your pastor to belief in Jesus Christ. He didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He denied miracles. And these older members began to pray for him. They saw a problem with his spiritual foundation, what his faith was in. And he came to faith, and not only did God grant him a foundation, but he assisted, along with many others, in a time of renewal in that area's history. We should give thanks that God has power, and he demonstrates it in Scripture that we would never doubt, but that we would work and leave it in his hands. One of the, I think, demoralizing, one of the grieving parts of working towards better foundations, individually or culturally, is that anything that is put in place by the hand of man can be overturned. Certainly that's true of buildings, and they saw that with their building. Even the, the temple that they're building in this section of Scripture, in case you don't know, the Romans are going to destroy it. That can be very demoralizing, and I know that sometimes you feel that way, that even if you do the hard work, 
in your relationships, in your community, in your country, in your churches. Even if you do the hard work, somebody's just going to come along and turn that thing over. And so why do it? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 9, the writer tells of all that he set out to do and build. And then he says, I said in my heart, what gain has the worker from all his toil? All is vanity. Viewed only from this earthly perspective, that'd be true. Things that human hands put into place can be overturned. But this is the second and final point that I wish you to set your heart upon today. There are foundations that cannot be moved. God has given us such a foundation, and it is everlasting. Thanksgiving Day, we thank God for the potatoes and for the turkey or whatever else you choose to eat. Thank God for that. But all of those things were put into the creation at this age to give us a foretaste of even better things, of an everlasting feast. And we have a foundation for that, which cannot be shaken. Think for a moment what the temple represented. It was never meant to be permanent, that building made of stone by human hands. It was a down payment on a promise. It was provisional. It was a picture of God's desire to dwell among his people, to gather with them, and to be reconciled to them in spite of their sin. The whole ritual apparatus of slaying these lambs and all of that, that wasn't meant to be permanent. It was a picture that God was willing to be reconciled to sinners, but something had to be done about the guilt of sin. God cannot be moral and turn a blind eye forever to the evil that is in our hearts and in our lives and in our, sometimes in our broader expression for Israel as a nation. When the temple was toppled, it very much would have looked as if God was saying, I'm done with you. I don't want to meet with you anymore. And that's one of the most awful things, you, the most awful thing you can imagine. God saying, I don't desire to dwell with you. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, To many it will be said on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. But God has given all who look to him through Christ a foundation that cannot be shaken. Look what it says in verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. The word steadfast there, the Hebrew term simply means covenant, unbreakable. It's not going anywhere. He made a promise. And his steadfast love is toward Israel. Who are the Israel ultimately? And the New Testament tells us the true Israel, those who have wrestled with the Lord and have received his blessing, are those whose faith is in Christ. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, prophesied of a better temple, although they didn't know 600 years before Christ's coming how this would take place. Hear the words of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. So this is what the Lord God says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will never be shaken. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. The Lord says, I am assuming responsibility for this building project. And I'm going to make that thing so sure it can never fall. 
But then how does he do it? In Acts chapter 4, verse 7, Peter is standing right outside the temple, the physical earthly temple, and he addresses all of these Jews who have been gathered for Pentecost. And he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, or rather, he was asked, by what power, by what name did you do this miracle? Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God has one meeting place. Just as there was one physical temple in the world, and you couldn't just go into whatever temple in any country and worship their God and God would receive it as his own. No. He had one meeting place as a symbol in that time. But the reality is Jesus Christ and you come to God through him, through faith, that he was crucified and in his crucifixion he suffered all the physical and spiritual judgment that we deserve. In his resurrection he has given testament that he truly was righteous. Death has no power over him. You come through Christ knowing he is a cornerstone that cannot be moved. The same Peter who preached that message in his, one of his epistles says, you indeed are living stones being united to him. A number of months ago, there was a big storm here. A lot of people were affected. I saw trees down in my neighborhood and some parts of roofs taken off. And in my own backyard a portion of my wall, my brick wall, got knocked down because I had just the day before put up a shade sail and didn't think about it. How is it anchored to the wall? And I went after that to a hardware store and I thought, what, is, what can I use to make these bricks never come apart again? And I got whatever, you know, construction adhesive, maximum strength. And I used that and I, I think it's stronger. I hope it's stronger. But here's the thing, when Christ is united to his people, what binds us together is the omnipotent Holy Spirit and the unbreakable covenant promise of God. Maximum strength, construction adhesive. When he builds his church, the blocks don't fall off in a storm. People may leave, and that reveals where their heart really was. But he says, of all whom the Father has given me, and you picture the the pallet delivery of election, you've got all the people known unto the Lord, of all that the Father has given me, I will not lose one. Take joy in that today. Whatever may befall your life, our future is sure. So I want to ask you, are you focusing too much on former foundations? Is that, pre- is that going to preoccupy your conversations today? This is the way things were. I don't like how things are right now. And I'm going to tell you, this is not the day for that. For the sake of your family, 
for the sake of your soul, for the glory of the Lord, take this day and set your conversation on thankfulness. Or are you going to be like what we see in verse 12? Look at me at the text. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Some of the older people who had seen the former temple looked at this new stone and they said, this is not nearly as glorious. Solomon's was better. Not all of the older people did that, it says. And it may be that some of the older people among us can remember a time in our country or our federation. We think back, our federation used to have a thousand churches we regarded as faithful as we wish. And now we're just a hundred something. I hope that your weeping is drowned out today. This is a day of thanksgiving. And the Lord calls us to praise him. First, I encourage you, praise him for what foundations have been restored. Isaiah 26 verse 12 says, O Lord, you will establish peace for us, for all that we have accomplished, you have done through us. We just celebrated 25 years as a local church. A foundation has been relayed. Some of you are celebrating renewals in your marriage that you thought would not exist five years ago. Celebrate renewal. Some of you are celebrating relationships with children who are long estranged. Celebrate that this day. Wherever there is good in our nation, in our churches, today is a day to thank the Lord for doing this through us. Give thanks that the Lord may do so again. And then believe it, act on it. We have questions about this church and its vision. And of course, there's always the natural question, where will the money come from? Where will the laborers come from? We're not even moving 40-foot-long stones. If the Lord wills it, it will be. The question is never, where will money or manpower come from? The question is always, has God called us to a work? That's always the question. And then we do the work knowing it's in his hands. And if he calls us to it, we trust him to do his will. Proverbs 16, verse 3 Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. It's the only way forward. Last, give thanks for our foundation in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, no one can lay any other foundation than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Have you seen that as your foundation? Is Christ the underlying structure of your whole life and future and hope? Take seriously his parable. If it's not, if you're building on anything else, the rain will come, a great wind, a storm, and will sweep it away. If your foundation is Jesus Christ, he is eternal, immovable. Great things, unimaginable things are ahead of us. That is the gospel. That is the gravy that you put on absolutely everything today. You think of that with everything. May our hearts then go to him in thanks. Let's do that even now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for having given us a firm foundation in Christ that he is committed to his church. As true human being, he understands our pain. 
But as immortal, everlasting, omnipotent God, he is equal to the task of healing, of rebuilding. We thank you for what you have given to us, Lord. We ask that you would make us mindful of our blessings, down to the tiniest ability to feel a a hair move between our, our fingers. You have given us sensation and the ability to delight in created being through which you speak to us innumerable pleasures and joy. How much better to think of the resurrection before us, the kingdom and glory that Christ comes to be marveled at in his saints. We ask that you would please fill us with that joy and help us to share it with others this day. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord his praise together with a psalm. We're going to sing stanzas one, two, and four. We're going to stand together to sing Psalm 9b, stanzas one, two, and four of wholehearted thanksgiving.
Following the benediction, we'll close with 181 in the hymnal. Now, thank we all our God. Brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's blessing from Colossians 3. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, filling your heart with thankfulness to God. Amen.